that's <laughs> when I started to get my hands on the, you know, the evil devil's music and my friends would make me tapes and I would hide those tapes. I wouldn't mark them. They were just blank tapes. And my brother was <laughs> dumb enough to bring an Iron Maiden number of the beast into our house. And my oh, father, no. <laughs> my father found it under his mattress along with a picture of a, a boob, like a tit, a tit, a tit. It was just, it was literally a picture of a tit from like a, from like a medical magazine telling you how to check for lumps and an Iron Maiden tape. Church and welcome to Grown Up Christian. I'm Casey, and this is Sam. And Sam's looking a little flustered today. You in a bad mood? No. Why am I? I'm not too flustered. I um, but well, I guess in some ways it's uh, <laughs> I've had an eventful uh, morning slash yesterday evening, but nothing wild. But uh, so this kind of just speaks to me not being good at doing regular people things in life. Uh, so I have a minivan, like a good dad and a f- it, it, I got it used. Uh, it's not even a year old. And, you know, one of the things I didn't do when I was buying a used car was try to like, I don't know, do stuff like get a new pair of tire, new set of tires on it. Um, and it wasn't until really after I bought it that I noticed they were pretty much bald. Like they were, it's weird. I mean, it's not weird that they sold me a car with tires like that. I was flat, say, the, but... the salesman didn't point that out to you. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but like, that's like what, like, that's something you, that's the kind of mistake you only make once, right? Next time I buy a used car, I'm going to check the tires and be like, can you put a new, a new set of tires on this? And then, then I'll buy it. So either way, it, I didn't even know what run flats were until recently. And oh. for those who don't know, run flats are basically like, we don't. So this, the, my car doesn't have a spare tire because it has run flats. It doesn't have a spare tire because it's like the all wheel drive van. So I guess because of the way that, I don't know, basically the way it's built, there's no, they don't have the room underneath. Allegedly, I bet they, I bet I could figure something out to put a spare tire. So they throw run flats on it, which are basically a lot more money for each tire. And when you hit, I, you probably know a little bit more about run flats than I do, Casey, since your whole world is around car stuff. But it's like if you hit something and your tire pops, it like fills it, it kind of just like fills it in. Like it won't, it won't go flat. I don't really get it. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know how they work. I just know that like, if you like a goo in it, there's some sort of a liner in it or something like that. So like when you puncture it, I mean, it still maintains its integrity for a while. That's, yeah. that's all I know about them. Okay. It's like, it, it. yeah. So I'm like, so when I had to get new tires on it, the, the guy that, you know, I does my like auto stuff is like, you can put run flats on it or you can just get regular tires and, and then buy a spare. Like, it doesn't really matter. A lot of people do the run flats because it's easier and they don't want to have a spare tire rolling around the back of their car, whatever. I don't care about that. So I was like, I'll do that. Whenever I do things like that, I don't follow through with, you know, getting the spare part. So <laughs> like 
only a few, only like four weeks ago, I'm driving my van in, uh, I, I live a little over an hour from Boston, but I'm bringing, um, uh, I'm bringing my foster son to Boston to hang out, to see his mom. And we're like 10 minutes from our house. And I, I blow out the back tire, completely blow it out. It goes instantly out of air. You could not, I mean, you heard all the air just right out of it. So that was an event. Um, and there's a lot, that was a very eventful situation, but either way, uh, I dealt with all that. I was like, all right, cool. Now I really need to get this spare. I don't want to find myself in this predicament again. And then, um, my wife goes out last night to meet her uncle for dinner. And she calls me like 15 minutes after she left. She's like, I just, the, the tire just like exploded. <laughs> oh, no. I was like, what? <laughs> like we just dealt with this four weeks ago. Like I I've gone, I mean, my entire dr- time driving, I've had maybe one or two slow leak flats. Right. And now I've had like two just blown out tires on brand new tires within three weeks and not, and I don't have a spare. So I had to like call a tow and everyone, dude, if, whenever you call a tow truck because your tires flat, they look like you, like you're probably one of the dumbest people who ever lived. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. So I, then I'm like, so I wait, I had to like drive out there. I dropped my kids off at my, my brother-in-law's house. I wait two and a half hours almost for the tow guy to show up. And then, so I, I run out this morning trying to like, so then, they were able to patch the tire. Luckily I didn't have to go get a new one or anything, but then I'm like running around this morning trying to get like, now I need to buy a wheel and a tire. And I still haven't done it because the places I went didn't have what I needed. So now I'm like, all right, I guess I'll get it all online later. And I think there's a probably a good chance. I haven't learned my lesson and I might have another flat tire before I get a spare. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can uh, identify with those problems. I've had a lot of automotive related catastrophe in my life. Yeah, uh, several situations. One involving sleeping overnight in a swamp uh, when we got our <laughs> car stuck. That's one of them like that one. I literally just told this story to somebody the other day. But um, I traveled for work for like three years, so I was out. You know three weeks a month, I was somewhere in the country. That's when I came and saw you that time. Yeah. And I was working in California and the guy that I was working with was, he was a nice guy. He's just kind of an idiot. And he was like, every day he had a reason why he couldn't work more than like four hours. So like, I'm away from home for the week. I'm in like, I forget, uh, Temecula, California. It's like North of San Diego. And I just got time. I mean, I don't have anything to go to do. So I just got in. I had a Nissan Rogue front wheel drive. So I got in there one day and I'm just like, man, I'm just going to drive around. I'm just going to go look around, see some of the countryside and stuff and just, you know, kind of see where I end up. So I drove for quite a while. And on the map, I could see there's like a body of water, right? I'm heading east inland and it's the, the Salton Sea. And I, I had heard that name before. I had no idea what it was, right? I just knew that I had, I'd heard that before. So I was like, oh, well, I'll go check it out. Why not? So I drive like clear over there to this place and uh, and get there. And, and the Salton Sea's 
it's awful. It's a disgusting, dirty butthole of a place. <laughs> Absolute toilet. It's just like, I guess like uh, it was some sort of a, I'm, te- I'm not going to be completely accurate here, I don't think, but it was some sort of a resort town at one point, and then the ro- the the lake itself got uh, sewage over salted. <laughs> everyone dumped their sewage straight into it. <laughs> it's like it's so salty that it killed off like a lot of the the wildlife and stuff in there. So I drive out there and I'm getting close to the water, and there's nothing there. I mean, there's like abandoned trailer parks. That's it. There's nothing. And I get close to the, to the shoreline. And when I got out of the car, like I'm basically just walking on like fish skeletons. <laughs> it's like that, you know, when she has like the, uh, the apparition in Terminator two and the Terminator's just like walking on human skulls. <laughs> I was like a Terminator to fish. <laughs> and, uh, and so I kind of walk around for a minute. I'm like, this place smells awful and it's pretty gross this was a waste of time. So <laughs> I go back to my car. There's like a little uh, side road right down by the beach. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll turn around there. So I start turning around and like, I just felt my whole car shift. God. And I literally just sunk into the sand and oh it's a front God. wheel drive. It's a rental car. I don't know what I'm supposed to, I'm stuck. I'm so stuck and I have nothing to do. You know, I've got no tools, nothing. So I dug it like, you know, I just kind of like hand dug away at fish skeletons for a while before I realized like, oh, this is, this is not going to work. And it's starting to get dark and it's like kind of stormy. And so I had to call a a tow truck. I, I feel like I had to call around a few places to find a tow truck, but Finally found one and the guy's like, well, you know, it's supposed to be my day off. I'm like an hour and a half away. So I sat there for hours just on this pile of dead fish, just like waiting for this guy to show up. (laughs) And now it's dark and the dude shows up. He was so angry that he had to be there. (laughs) So like he, he finally gets there after I've been waiting for hours and he just like roasts me the whole time he's working. (laughs) He's just like. It's like, oh yeah, you know, uh, six day work week supposed to be my day off, but no, morons from out of the state got to come out here and get stuck in the sand like a bunch of freaking morons. What? And I just, I'm just sitting there like, yeah, I mean, it's fair. <laughs> so he towed me out. I drove back to the to Temecula in a sandstorm or something, and. <laughs> Yeah, that was it. So if you see the Salton Sea on the map, don't <laughs> don't detour to go there. Not <laughs> oh a tourist destination. I love how upset. Uh, I feel like I've had tow dri- tow truck drivers get upset about things. Like they're like they're like flustered by how far away they are. It's like I don't know. You're the one that took the job. That's part of it. Towing people. I don't. <laughs> you, it's literally the only part of the job. Maybe changing a spare tire for somebody who doesn't know how, but like i don't know you're on call dude i don't want to tell you i did sorry i ruined your day i'm not exactly having the best time of my fucking life right now <laughs> yeah it's like it's always very inconvenient for them yeah <laughs> so one time we went up north in michigan anywhere you're at in michigan if you drive north nobody says what town they go to or anything they just said yeah we went up north okay. so we went up north uh we were gonna like hang out 
up there for the weekend, just, you know, just to get out. We didn't really have much for plans. We were going to go to a ski area, but uh, we had a four-wheel drive F-150 at the time. And there's this giant state forest up there called the Pigeon River State Forest. It's big. I mean, you can be, you can go way back into this thing and there's nothing. There's no civilization or anything. And this was, this is the second time I got stuck in the Pigeon River. The first time was when I slept in the swamp, which <laughs> we'll, we'll cover that a different time. But so this time we got back into these side roads and it's real snowy. It's gorgeous. It's amazing place. Deep, you know, hardwoods forest. And uh, we got back into this one area and I'm like, uh, let's, let's head back towards the main road. So I start kind of doing my 69 point turn to get turned around in the road. And the truck kind of like got stuck in the snowbank, And for some reason, like it would not shift into four wheel drive. So I was just stuck again, like I'm out in the middle of nowhere with April this time and you know, nothing to do. Luckily, like we found this group of snowshoes, shoers, they were kind of like <laughs> on a, it was like a buddy trip. So they walked us back to their cars and then drove us out to the main town, which is like, you know, it's 25 miles of nothing to get to the main town. It's one gas station there. It's a town called Wolverine and there's, there's nothing. And, uh, (laughs) so we go to the gas station. I'm like, we're stuck back in the woods. Uh, is there any tow truck services around here or something that'll tow us out? And they're like, well, we could call, I don't remember what the guy's name is. They're like, well, you could call Jed. They, they're on a first. It's like the first name basis. We have the the one guy who has. It's not even a real tow truck. He's just got like a winch cable on the front of his car. That something. is exactly yeah. what it was. <laughs> <laughs> he just had like this '90s K body Chevy truck uh, with a tow strap. And dude, it was it was so funny because he he came to the gas station to talk to us, and he he's like acting real inconvenienced, you know, like, like they do. And, uh, so he gets to talking and he's like, well, I mean, uh, I can pull you out, but it's going to cost you. Yeah. yeah. I was like, okay, well, (laughs) what, what are we talking about? And he kind of like looks back and forth. He looks super nervous. Like, I hope this works. (laughs) He's like, he's like $200. (laughs) just leave it just leave it and then start walking away (laughs) 200 bucks all right so we rode back into his truck like way back into it's a single cab truck so april got to sit in the middle nice you know straddle the stick shift yeah (laughs) but yeah he pulled us out i paid him 200 bucks and then uh that was our weekend we we got stuck and walked out uh, I wish you you, i wonder if he would have come down on the price if you tried to negotiate or if he would have just like left you there like driving away from that would be a really shitty thing to do, you know, uh, especially when you're not like an official tow truck company. <laughs> I'm sure there's times when they do. Yeah, <laughs> it's clear. Like, you know, they're looking at us. They're like, these are not northern Michigan residents. You know, they they know they got you. Oh, yeah. But it was worth 200 bucks to get pulled out. So, oh, I'm not yeah, complaining. absolutely. What are you going to do? Like risk not getting pulled out over 50 bucks? Yeah. <laughs> 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 so speaking of getting uh towed out of trouble, um you've been following the saga of Mike Liddell. That was a sick transition there. <laughs> I know, I really thought that through. All of that intro, like everything that I set up to now, 
was planned just to make that that <laughs> intro work. <laughs> the my pillow guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. He is such dude, he's I don't even know how to explain how he is how what he's doing. Like doesn't it's so far outside the realm of anything reasonable. He's You're deranged. Like, yeah, it's it's it actual feels like clinical psychosis at this point. Like what he's at this giant thing what is what, what's this conference that he's at teaching i don't know we're uh, gonna try to pipe in the audio here just in case you haven't heard it because it's it's you gotta hear it it's <laughs> it's insane and if you got if you got any prayers lord let make these pillows that people take home their prayer pillow that they will lay on them and never forget this night and they will pray to you lord and ask you into their heart and surrender, surrender to you, Jesus. And we pray that for the addicts, anybody addicted out there, that stories of hope like mine will change the world and change our country. And we pray for peace. We pray for our country. We pray for our, we pray for our state. We pray for, our, we just pray, Lord. We reach out to you for, for we, we ask for. We please forgive our sins, Lord. Forgive us and listen to our prayers tonight, Lord. And I want everybody to say a prayer of peace tonight, a prayer on their pillow. In Jesus' name, amen. But it's like this giant super spreader event, and there's like a trendy looking pastor on the stage. It kind of reminds me of like at Liberty uh, when like you would have like your chapel service like big like that right it's like an auditorium like kind of thing and um he gives everybody my pillows to put their face on while they pray so it's just like there's just like a pan shot of like of everyone like I, people are cracking smiles too man you know everyone there is like all right like i was fine with this guy on like newsmax saying some bullshit but but like this just feels weird now. Like now it's too close to home. He's putting, he's giving everybody pillows to put their faces on so we can all it's pray such together. A, a weird, diluted like cash grab. Yeah. You know, like the, my pillow is gonna be the pillow of every patriot in this country. In the pillow of prayer, it's like take everybody take your everybody take your prayer pillows. He's like and, uh, take them home, pray on them. Remember, remember my pillow. When you pray, I remember, I mean, remember to, to, to just, uh, what about, oh, my pillow, he just, he's like, he sinks it into everything he, he does. He, he can't do anything or say anything without like bringing up his brand. It's like a weird obsession with, I don't, how do you get to that point? It's like, I don't even, I can't tell the difference between a my pillow and Mike Lindell anymore. They're like the same thing. <laughs> it's hard to tell which one you're even looking at. I know. He's my just... pillow is the one without the mustache. Ah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think like that guy completely tanked his brand during the election and stuff. And I mean, sure, he's got some loyalists that are going to buy one just because they, ah, he stands up for truth. Right, right. But the rest of the country is now closed to that guy, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Dude, I'm, I think even like, just to give everyone a fair shake, I think the majority of like conservative, like uh, Trump people who are like, oh, who, who even really act, not reluctant Trump voters, not people who have like some maybe nuance to their like uh, reasons 
but just people who love Trump and his demeanor, his personality, that just think he was like God sent to politics. Like even the people who are like all in, I think they're just like, all right, Mike, come, come on. Like it's just making everybody uncomfortable now. Like it's too much. And I, I honestly think he, even some of those more hardcore people are going to just be like, not because they disagree with any political stance that he has, but they're just like, okay, man, it's just getting weird. Like it's like so transparently like icky. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty soon that he's just going to be up on stage, like with a little, he's going to have a little hole drilled into the back of one of his, my pillows. He's just going to fuck it on stage. And that's, (laughs) (laughs) I was literally just about to suggest he get like a Patreon. So maybe that's our reward tiers. Like (laughs) Mike's weekly pillow bang. I would actually sign up for that, though. I mean, how would you not? Could you which not which news that? network is going to pick him up? Oh, dude. Like maybe he's not getting his own full time show, but he's going to be a consistent guest on on one of them over the next like the election period. Sure, there was a lot of them that talked to him, but he's fully established himself as crazy now. Like his <laughs> his only option is going to be to go to like you know Infowars or something like that. Oh yeah, but he's not smart. Like. And not that I, I mean, a lot of these people who have platforms aren't smart, but he doesn't even have the appearance of someone who can string together like faux facts and pretend research. Like he can't even do that. He just like runs his mouth like a lunatic. You know, I like that he's a businessman. Yeah. <laughs> and that he's, uh, you know, he calls it like he sees it. Mm, that's, that's what true. I like about him. Yeah. That's, that's an endearing, an endearing quality these days. <laughs> yeah good old mike uh it's fun to watch him go down in flames <laughs> uh, you ready for another good yeah, transition speaking of in flames <laughs> speaking of flames uh our guest today is uh, somebody that uh, uh sam and i are pretty stoked about this like we couldn't believe that uh he returned our messages for one so Dude, you're making us look you're making us look weak. Come on. This is well a week. This was several weeks ago. I, I mean, now we're a national phenomenon. Exactly. But several weeks ago we weren't. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, when when you texted me and said that Jesse Leach from Kill Switch Engage was was interested in being on the show, I was like, no, come on. <laughs> come on. You gotta be kidding me. But uh if you're if you're in metal at all, if you've played Guitar Hero at all, I mean Kill Switch Engage has probably been one of the most important metal bands in like my era of metal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the past 20 years or so, they've been a huge part of of metal and and you know, I've gotten a lot of like mainstream recognition. Like there's more and more of that stuff showing up on radio stations and the horrible serious FM stuff. And um Kill Switch Engage has been a big part of that. So uh we were pretty excited to talk to him. So Jesse's was the the vocalist in in Killswitch Engage for a number of years. Uh, he left the band for a period of time and then rejoined. About what, how long ago has it been? God, I don't know. You didn't, I didn't have my dates up. I didn't know you were going to ask this question. It's um, been a while. It was like now, four it's like albums. Eight years of, yeah, it was something. like yeah, it was like four four albums ago. But. Uh, what we why we were excited about talking to him you know one we've been fans for a long time but two he's somebody that's been pretty outspoken about mental health and some of the struggles that he's gone through 
Uh, he grew up in a Christian environment. He's, he gets into a lot of that. You know, his dad was a pastor and stuff like that. Um, he's just lived a really interesting life and has a, a really cool nuanced perspective on religion and faith and, you know, where he's at now with his his perception of spirituality and stuff was, it was cool. It was fun to hear. Yeah. Yeah. He was great. It was, it was such a fun time talking to him. Um, you know, I, it was one of those people I wanted to reach out to because as a kill switch fan from high school, I was like, I would hear their lyrics and like, you just have this idea that this guy, I feel like these are resonating with me in a, and more than just a general way at that time. Like these feel distinctly, based in uh christianity even though there's nothing overtly christian about it but just like the so, uh, some of the themes felt very familiar and uh you know their music has always been positive and uplifting and it was really uh, helpful for me um you know especially like your pa- it's like when you're getting into metal your parents are concerned you're going to be listening to devil music and then you know you find you find these bands these metal bands that are like i mean their lyrics are just like are more uplifting than any of the bullshit you would hear on the radio. Like there's a real good positive message behind a lot of it. And kill switch was definitely one of the more influential bands lyrically for me. So that was, it was just such a cool like time to be like opportunity to have that conversation with him and hear his take on his upbringing and his faith and how it, you know, what he's come around on uh, and where he's at now. So. Yeah. He's got a brand new podcast out called stoke the fire flames fire. Yeah, just, that was a long connection, but uh, it's pretty cool. He he hosts it with a friend of his, Matt Stocks, who uh, has another podcast of his own. Just a cool guy. I mean, uh, it was a lot of fun talking to him. It just it was a big deal for us. You know, we felt really excited to talk to him. So um, enjoy our conversation with Jesse Leach. If you're not on the uh, discord yet, <laughs> uh, jump in there and join that. Uh, you'll find the link in all of our social media and stuff like that. I wanted to give a couple of shout outs from the Discord, a couple of things that came up this week. So, uh, one, one of our uh, Discord regulars, his wife just released a book called The Last Apothecary. It's a fictional novel, it's available on Amazon. Just seems like a really cool book. I downloaded it, I haven't started it yet, but I'm pretty excited to listen to it. Another one of our Discord people, shared his own podcast, which is called uh, The Depression Proof Podcast. It's about mental health and some really cool conversations about that. So check those things out. And again, if you're not on the Discord, you should jump in. It's a lot of fun. A lot of people getting to share their their stories, their takes on things, uh, their memes and crazy Christian culture videos. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, thanks a lot for listening and enjoy our conversation with Jesse Leach. Today, we have a very special guest, guy that uh, Sam and I have been listening to for a long time, Jesse Leach, the lead singer of Kill Switch Engage. How's it going, man? I'm well, man. It's it's good to be here, for sure. You guys uh, seem to have a very interesting thing going on here. And I was actually looking back on um, some of your episodes, and I saw you had a Christian metalcore episode. So are you, you know, <laughs> I think uh, I fit right into that mold with a Leverage's breathing. So that that's kind of interesting because the whole Christian metalcore thing kicked off after that record. So I think it's quite interesting. And it's interesting that I'm here as well talking to you guys. Yeah. 
I love yeah, it. I feel like I didn't have clear answers on whether or not you guys were a Christian band, so I abstained from listening to your music. <laughs> but you know, Sam, you know, he'd just do whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. At the time that I was writing a lot with just breathing, I still identified as a Christian. I was still going okay. to church. Yeah. So that's a that's a journey in itself because I'm definitely not the same person I was when I was writing that record. Yeah. How old were you when you were writing that record? How long ago was that? I was that? like 22, 23. About. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Still yeah, that's very, very much indoctrinated. <laughs> so you, um, so let's get into your story uh, a bit, man. You, um, you know, I might as well jump right into it off of that. You grew up as a pastor's kid. Sure um, did. So that, that's new to me. Uh, and that's, that, you know, it's, it, what's one thing growing up in a conservative evangelical home. It's another thing doing it when your dad's a pastor. So, oh yeah, it definitely is. You are, there's a lot of pressure. All eyes are on you. Um, the energy that you're surrounded by is intense. Um, I've got stories about spirits and yeah, I, I've lived it. <laughs> I am probably your ideal candidate for this, <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> um, my earliest memories are people speaking in tongues. Um, Ooh, that being, brand. Yeah. Being very uncomfortable. It was uh, initially uh, my parents were into the, uh, what the hell was the name of that church? Uh, I think it was called Word of Life. It was in Rhode Island. Um, it had this hmm. big, huge blue dome. These are just like vivid memories of being a kid. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of uncomfortableness, you know, a lot of um, forced participation. And just yeah. from an early age, I was definitely uncomfortable with being sort of, you know, seen and, and forced to be seen and always being an example um, so that's the early, early memories. But my dad was actually studying um, at um, a, a theological seminary in, in uh, Pennsylvania. And that's kind of where my memory starts, going to the Bible college that he went to and meeting other okay. Christian kids and and being around people who are studying theology and very passionate about the Bible. And um, I had to learn Latin as a kid. My dad was translating the Bible from Greek and Hebrew. So I learned about the different translations. So I went deep. My my knowledge of the Bible is pretty extensive. Oh, um, yeah. Because so of were that. these theology dudes love Greek. Oh, yeah. yeah. They oh. always talk about it. They got flashcards. Yeah. And, and yeah, they would joke about, make jokes about the language. I just dumb, just dumb jokes about Greek. <laughs> <laughs> I took uh, three semesters of Greek in uh, college. I got a Bible degree, Jesse. So of I, oh, there you did. go. So yes. I did the whole, uh, I had to weigh Greek against Hebrew in my undergrad. And uh, I went with Greek because, I mean, it's the New Testament. I mean, what are you going to do? That's yeah. what your entire faith is based around. I'm not going <laughs> to exactly. cheap out and go with agape Hebrew. Agape love. You got to learn about that agape. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Um. <laughs> so you said your earliest met, like, so your dad was, at before he became a pastor, um, he was studying to be one. Uh, how old yeah. were you when your dad was, like, so what, bring us back to that, like, that age. About Okay, so quick backstory on my dad, who I absolutely admire and love, and he's he's definitely loosened up over the years, which we'll get to that. Um, but he was an ex-hippie. He was an ex-greaser, biker, gangster, drug dealer, drug user. He mm. was he was that guy in the 60s that just did it all. Um, and he was on his way to Tibet to become a monk because he wanted to figure out how – he saw those monks as having a piece that he wanted to know about because his drugs weren't getting him there anymore. And on his way, he was living in a commune in California. In the uh, early 70s, and that's when he met a man that told him about Jesus. 
and became part of the Jesus movement in the 70s. And wow. you can you can look this up on the internet. Jesus was a big deal in the 70s. And a lot of rock and roll sort of hippie types that went from free love and drugs and you know, uh, free sex and all that went to like being complete 100% Jesus freaks. And my dad was part of that movement. And so was my mom. Was the, the guy that he met out there, was he any at all prominent? Is it a name anybody would know? No, no. And it's funny because yeah, he's just a random guy that showed up into my dad's life and changed it and changed it. And I don't, I think he's gotten in touch with him once, but he was just a random dude. That just, and I guess my dad, because my dad's a very, regardless of my beliefs on religion, my dad is a very um, spiritual person. He reads energy. Like he doesn't use those words, mm-hmm. but he's, he's got some sort of a gift. My, both my parents do. They've got this, I don't know what you'd want to call it. There's a bit of psychicness in them. They're very wise. And uh, he saw this guy and he had just this light around him, this energy. And my dad was like, what the hell is your deal, man? why do you look like that? And the guy just explained to him, he's like, I just got Jesus, man. And that was it. My dad was like, give me some of this Jesus. I want to get high on Jesus. What is Jesus? (laughs) And that's kind of what happened. And and from that point, he moved back. He was in California and he moved back to Rhode Island to to witness to his his parents. Cause you know, when you're that type of a Christian, the sort of, uh, you know, indoctrinated, um, evangelical Christian, your mission is to spread the gospel. So he went back yep. to spread the gospel. That's when he met my mother. My mother was driving a VW um, bug that had Jesus saves painted on the side of it. She used to carry <laughs> around a Bible, uh, according to my father, that was half the size of her, you know, cause you, you carry your own Bible. That's a, a point of pride, a leather bound Bible with a zipper yep. on it. And don't want to go to war without your oh, sword. Oh yeah, exactly. Onward, <laughs> Christian have, soldiers, man. Come on. <laughs> Did so they my have mom, a uh, name in it? You know, people usually get the, a lot of times. They I, get don't their name, like, I don't know. I don't remember in it or whatever. I it don't know, like, but I, I have one of those. I still have mine. It's in the yeah. shelf in my back room. Yep, in nice. gold lettering. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, long story short, my mom put that Bible in between her and my dad on their first date <laughs> and said to him, "You have to get through this book to get to me." So my dad read the Bible from cover to cover in six weeks, and they got married after six weeks because he what? just yeah he couldn't not be with her. That's a crazy story. He's a fast reader. They are <laughs> yeah. Well yeah he did. I mean the guy's got all right. So he's the Reverend Doctor Leroy Leach. The guy has two master's degrees, and he's got a doctrine in theology, and he's he is a walking encyclopedia of theology. <laughs> And he's also got a degree in psychology. So he's a, when you talk to that man, he's analyzing you and, and just it's, and he's an intimidating man to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's just got that. He's forgotten more things than I'll ever learn. Kind of attitude. (laughs) Is he still a pastor? No. uh, Well, yeah. Well, here's the thing. He retired 10 years ago to become a professor. So he was teaching, he was teaching old Testament at a college in Bronxville, New York. Um, and then he retired to go be near his grandkids um, down in Arkansas, the Bible Belt. Uh, he's living in he's living in a Southern Baptist sort of uh, footloose style community. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he got pulled back into the church because he's now a Lutheran, and there's a very few Lutheran churches down there. And the one Lutheran church that they were attending that he actually thought the music was good because he's a very very um, opinionated person when it comes to how services carried out, etc. So he enjoyed this church and they just, they roped him in. So now he preaches 
unofficially part-time and is mentoring young pastors as well. So they, they, they sucked them back in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was your mom, was she part of some sort of a similar movement or did she grow up in the church? Uh, she, no, she was, uh, she was a pill popping black Sabbath listening, uh, rock and roller that eventually, um, yeah, found Jesus. I don't, you know, her, she doesn't talk about it as much as my dad does. So I don't even know how that happened. She had a cousin who was, you know, saved and witness to her and she felt lost at the time in her life. So she became a full on, you know, Bible thumper. And then they were, they met at the same church, which was, was this church in the, in the really bad part of the city where they would all gather together and, you know, they had the guitars and the tambourines and they call it the happy clappy church. That's what they call it now. <laughs> and they met there and, and they were part of the same Bible study because you break off into different groups and study your Bible. And they were Bible partners and that's when they sort of fell in love. You know, what's weird is like, I think back on like all the guest speakers and stuff I've ever heard. And I've heard the, you know, we've, we've all heard the story of, you know, the guy that, was a uh, was living hard and fast and had a scary moment and turned his life around. You know, you don't hear that from women though. Like that that testimony wasn't really welcome from women. I wonder if that might well, have had course, something to do with it. You just nailed it on the head, of course, because women are seen as completely different. And when you're talking in biblical terms, women, according to people who take the Bible, the translation of the Bible word for word women are inferior. That's 100% how it goes. It's, it's not said that way, but you know, and my mother is very much of that school. She supports her man and, and what he says goes, and that's totally how they still are to this day. And they're thank, thankfully they're happily married. They still love each other after all these years, which it just works for them. But that is, you know, one point I would say that I, I tend to disagree with. I don't think there should be a, a hierarchy in a marriage. It should be equal. And I come from the upbringing in the, you know, the churches that I've been a part of where that's the case. A woman cannot read scripture in the pulpit. She can't serve in the church unless she's a deacon. There is a whole laundry list of what women can and can't do. And I think I totally agree with that. Even if they did have some sort of like, you know, I was partying and sleeping around doing what other men do anyway <laughs> and I found God, you couldn't tell that story without judgment because there is so much judgment when it comes to, to, to the Christian religion. And that's, that's the point of me that started to fray on my consciousness was just the judgment. Yeah. I think the through line of that is like, for some reason, I mean, not for some reason, you just explained the reason, but, um, but what it is, is like the, that testimony is welcomed amongst men because it's like, you know, men get, they get, saved and come to Jesus and they can like that. Oh, that's great. That's beautiful. For some reason, it, you know, if a man does it great, but like, but when you hear those stories from women about like just partying, drugs, sleeping around, they're just considered damaged goods. They lost their purity and they're not um, like that. That testimony holds so little weight coming from them because like the, they don't get that same kind of redemption story that men do from. Those. No, you're right. And, you know, being a pastor's kid, I had my ear to, the workings of the church. And I think this is another thing that really turned me off um, to that was, you know, hearing the meetings and hearing the church elders talk and, and being privy to that information and, and having my dad vent about it when I got older, there's a lot of like, you know, uh, shit talking. There's a lot of judgment. <laughs> and if a woman was seen as sort of a, a loose 
you know, uh, type woman before she met the Lord, she's still sort of seen that way. There's still mm. a stigma attached to her. And like you said, damaged goods, that's 100% accurate. And most men in the church would still view her that way. And, you know, a lot of the single women that would come into the congregation that were seeking redemption, were seeking that, that stigma never really left them. And some of those women would stay single because they couldn't find the right man, whether that be the men of the church weren't appealing or there was a judgment constant judgment and constant talking about members. And, you know, it boils down to this, you know, they, you, you preach God as love. And this is really the, the main point I would make over and over again. You can say it different ways. You speak about how God is love and God is for everybody. But then you look at the subtext of that bullet points and there's so many exceptions to the rule and so many, you know, out of one side of your mouth, you're speaking love. The other side of your mouth, you're speaking hatred. You're speaking division. It's just absolute uh, hypocrisy. And it just blows my mind. But it, that's, that is commonplace in the church. It's like, it's almost like biblical authority, but used and reinforced by like very human hands and moral codes and stuff like that. Dogma. Like it's, Yep. It's a constant, uh, you know, well, I can use this first to reinforce the uh, presuppositions I already have about these things. You know, I don't need to change that, even though this is obviously like poisonous. Yeah. The way that I think about these people or the way, you know, I have a hatred for them, but my hatred is kind of justified by this right here. Yeah. And I feel like that's always the period on the end of the sentence, even if they don't know how to finish the thought or how to enforce the law of God, it always just comes back to this is what the Bible says. And the, you know, there's exceptions to the rule that, that, you know, like you said, they can bend to make it work for them. But when it comes to any other situation, they just slam the law at you. And then you, what do you, who are you to question the, the theology? Who are you to question what this says? And I remember from a young age, starting to question little things like, like, isn't the Bible written by man? Oh, no, no, no. Men that were inspired by God. Okay. There's a lot of room for error there. Oh, <laughs> you, you can't, you cannot question that. Uh, didn't King James like hire people? No, no, don't. Listen, <laughs> hasn't it been retranslated from different languages and the meaning gets lost? Well, there is some of that, but we'll have Bible study on that. <laughs> That's the only point they concede to is like, well, yeah, you know, some words are hard, but, you know, (laughs) we're, we're pretty good at figuring stuff out and we have ideas of what it is. So we'll just read into it and everyone will just consider it the word of God still. Yep. And that's why we take four years of Greek. So we can take one word out of the sentence and base a whole ideology (laughs) around it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I find that interesting with, with translation because I've been around a man who has translated the Bible and can speak those different languages. And I would say this. It's fascinating, to say the least, if you're able to, like, see what the translation could potentially show you on a word and how you could see that would be misconstrued. And I think some of the contradictions and some of the uh, confusing points of of organized religion come from those manipulations of the text. Yeah. I mean, the fact is there's, you know, when your people are translating the Bible, they are, yeah, yeah people are reading in their own, the, they're coming into it with an idea of what their theology is. And they, 
uh, there's a lot that you can't that there isn't wiggle room with you just can translate word for word plenty of it you can but there i mean you can see the fact that we have so many translations will show you that yeah, like i guess if you want to recognize compare, those others yeah you're right yeah but if you compare them together <laughs> you're like yo you you can kind of make it say what you and there's a lot of stuff that's intentionally i i honestly believe it's missing it's mistranslated intentionally um to oh, communicate something that's not there and i don't well, i don't know how to get into like the maliciousness of it uh i think the people who are doing it are delusionally thinking they're doing something good by upholding what they are convinced is true but mm. it's still like a, it's still doing a poor job and <laughs> at it as a whole yeah but you know at the end of the day it doesn't matter because you know, you look back on, on, for example, when Christianity split and, and, you know, you had the way, the original way, which is the people that followed Christ. And then you had the Roman empire rise to power and realizing that there were these people who were such zealous followers of this religion that they were able to take this religion, take it away from these people who had created the way and turn it into a political affiliation with government and that's where you get the roman catholic church where they were taking these scriptures preaching them out in latin which is a you know the language the common language of the people they took it and they manipulated it and used it so you had church leaders that were able to read the translations but the common person couldn't so you had another filter so you had this whole other government system coming in and saying we see the power of religion and we're going to create this massive religion, but it's going to be all steeped in politics. That's where you get dogmatics, the the, the the rule, the law. And I think that's when things started to become really interesting, enter Rome. And from that point on, I think it's just been corrupt. And how, how long ago was the Roman Empire? I mean, we're <laughs> talking a long time of, of, you know, corruption. And then the splitting of those churches and you have you know the orthodox you have all of these crazy divisions it's like it reminds me of that um i assume you've seen that monty python's life of brian have you if you I, have not i haven't oh I'm sad to my say god that I haven't. you guys are welcome <laughs> so, there's a scene in this because I, I i grew up with monty python i'm probably a, I'm much older than you guys i'm in my 40s but um my, <laughs> there's this movie called life of brian that is basically about this guy brian that they believe is the messiah <laughs> so the joke is he's denying it. he's like i'm not the messiah i'm just a regular jewish guy what are you talking about and so you know he's running and he drops his sandal so someone grabs the sandal and says oh i've got his sandal everyone who follows the way of the sandal follow me and <laughs> oh he, he, you know so they you see the division but it's it's a, it's a joke but it's actually a really good criticism on christianity and the divisions that happened and uh, again yeah. i think it all ties back to the Roman Empire, it ties back to the political affiliation and having the power of control over people. And that's yeah. kind of when it all started to get really frayed. I mean, that's a it's long weird. time ago. Yeah, I, man, it's weird because we keep, I mean, obviously in our lifetime and just in our generation, we're see, we you see it over and over because even when it's not as prevalent, I mean, I mean, I think the biggest thing to look back on for us uh, is like, the rise of the moral majority in the seventies and the way that they rec- they just made a couple of issues all about like they tied a couple of issues so tightly to Christianity that had never been tied to it before. Um, 
that they were able to sway an entire population like an entire group of people to vote in a particular way, which mm. of course they had cozied up to at that point. And it is just, it's, I, what I think is notable uh, is that, and to piggyback off of what you're saying, you know, I guess Constantine and, and his making the, the Christian faith, a, I don't know. He kind of like was the first sponsored. Yeah. He, you know, <laughs> I think that was like one of the first, times you really saw them be like okay we see christianity as a powerful force and if we can um if we can co-opt this and and arm them and militarize them then we'll be really fucking powerful so that's what they did i mean for the most part christianity was a passive uh non-violent faith up that's until how that it started point. yeah exactly and uh, yeah so then you you tie it to the state you talk about doing god's will and you put a sword in their hand and you get them to slaughter millions. You're just like, it's, and it still you, goes on today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so even just like, even though the seventies and the moral majority is not that it's still like every point in history, you look at people who go, look like Jerry Falwell or, and you know, Billy Graham and these people, they were like, we believe that what we think is right. How do we disseminate this? How do we co mm. like convince people? And they instantly throw out the whole way of Jesus and just gravitate towards power and, and tie themselves to it. And, and use money that too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I grew up in that whole era. My grandparents would watch, you know, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. And I, I remember yeah. all of Ooh. that. I was steeped in that stuff. And, uh, you know, the way <laughs> the terrible, like musical <laughs> and laying of hands on people. I grew up seeing that uh, being around it. I actually would, you know, I've seen demons, quote unquote, cast out of people. Um, you know, all that stuff is just fascinating. But you bring up the the I think a funny, funny sort of segue is, is going from the 70s into the 80s. And I remember growing up. First of all, I was not allowed to listen to secular music up until a certain age. And if Same. I, yeah. And if I did like a record, I would have to bring it into my house, give it to my parents. They would open it. And this is back in the days of, you know, cassette tapes and, and vinyl. And so they would have to read through all the lyrics. They'd have to like really check it out, <laughs> listen to it, and make sure there was no provocative artwork. So my listening was very limited. And my dad actually taught a class about, you know, the devil in rock music. And there was a book and I actually found this book online. It's, you can look it up and find it. It's, it's very funny. It's called why knock rock. And it's about, you know, for example, journey. Oh, we're finding that know, book. Do, do you guys know journey is a satanic band? According to this book, journey is, a I satanic assume. Band. Oh yeah. Yeah. Are so, we getting into back masking? Yeah, exactly. All that. <laughs> yes, that was that was my entire childhood to a certain point. So it's so much so that my brother and I, um, and I have a, a older brother, two and a half years older than me, um, that would sneak in music. So I was really into rap. So I was I was allowed to listen to Christian rap, which if you've ever heard Christian rap, <laughs> it's, it's just great. wow. Yeah, most most of that stuff is pretty terrible. It's generic. It's just and I you know I I knew it. I it was the only thing I was able to listen to, and I knew it was dorky, but was all I had. So I would just cling to the radio and then, you know, stuff I couldn't find on the radio. Once I finally made it to public school, which is a whole other story, I was privately taught at a Christian school up until I was about 10 years old. What kind so, of school? Um, was it just a generic? Protestant, I guess Protestant would be the general one. And then I went to a, ba ba a couple of Baptist ones. 
basically whatever my father could get us in with his, because him being a student, he would get discounts because I grew up a oh. very, very poor family. We were poor for a very long time, but I'm private school taught. So I, you know, I learned archery and, you know, like I said, Latin <laughs> and like I lived, a, you know, my school was very privileged, but my brother and I were the poor kids. We, we were not there because we had money. We were there because my dad got a discount. Um, so I even more sheltered because of that. So when we got into middle school, when I was starting to rub elbows with the secular world, that's <laughs> when I started to get my hands on the, you know, the evil devil's music. And my friends would make me tapes and I would hide those tapes. I wouldn't mark them. They were just blank tapes. And my brother was <laughs> dumb enough to bring an Iron Maiden number of the beast into our house. And my oh, father no. my father found it under his mattress along with a picture of a, a boob. Like a tit, a tit, a tit. It was just – it was literally a picture of a tit from like a, from like a medical magazine telling you how to check for lumps. <laughs> And an Iron Maiden tape, and so when my was it a drawing? Or no, no, or it was picture? just a picture of a boob. <laughs> okay, well that's kind of cool with, with instructions, <laughs> but yeah, just a boob, not a person, not a hand, not a body, a boob, oh, and uh, you know, wrapped in an Iron Maiden number of the Beast tape. <laughs> so my dad found the tape, and I will never forget. It was fire, hellfire, and not in my house. Smashed it underneath his boot you know, and scolded my brother and I, and, you know, we were under our breath, just chuckling and thought it was hysterical. Cause at that point we had sort of realized that, you know, rubbing elbows with secular kids that we were freaks. We were like the Flanders kids, you know, like people are just like, who the, <laughs> who the fuck are these kids? Like the, you know, Jesus loves you. You guys don't know that Jesus loves you. Like, oh. So that, you know, <laughs> so Quick side story to go off on a quick tangent because I, I love telling the story. I've told it a few times. So year, many, many years later, um, my band Killswitch Engage was able to open for Iron Maiden. We did a full European tour with Iron Maiden. That's dope. Uh, and my parent, my mother has never been to, to Europe. So I used the paycheck that I was going to get from touring with Iron Maiden. I bought them tickets to... Uh, to go to Europe on this Viking cruise tour. And I took them out to dinner and I slid the envelope across the table and said, you know, Hey dad, do you remember when we were kids and you found an iron maiden tape and you said it was the devil's music and Oh yeah. And he kind of like chuckled cause you know, <laughs> he's loosened up over the years. I was like, well, that yeah. band is, is going to help pay for you guys to go on vacation because I'm getting ready to tour with them. <laughs> so he, he chuckled first day of tour. I actually got to meet Bruce Dickinson and tell him this story. And Bruce Dickinson came back and said, you know, oh, number of the beasts, your father is a learned man. He should know that that's about the history of the devil. It's actually more of a history lesson than it is a satanic record. And tell your father he should go and read the lyrics and understand that that record is meant to educate people about what people think Satan is. So I huh. was able to have a, a intellectual discussion about number of the beast and deliver that message to my father via Bruce Dickinson. So that's the <laughs> ultimate redemption for me on that moment. <laughs> that's awesome. So yeah, sheltered is, is, is very sheltered and um, music became my drug. Music became the, the sacred thing that I could sneak and it was mine. And that's kind of what helped me cope with getting into secular society and being around secular people for the first time. Yeah, it's funny, man. I Casey and I, I well, Casey was um he was Christian school all through high school. Um I was homeschooled all through high school. 
Oh, yeah, you guys but are my, outcasts. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> that's what, homeschool. Homeschool kids are like, whoa. Yeah. Oh, we did the homeschool co-ops, man. We, oh, like, man. They were those. It's funny because growing up, great. all the homeschool kids were like the freaks, though. Like those are the people who were making out before anyone else was and like doing weird <laughs> shit. All the kids that I knew that were homeschooled <laughs> were just the freaks of the Christian world. <laughs> Dude, that's like we had we had this one family that was homeschooled, but their parents would let them come into town and go to the – they would come to to our school to do a couple of things like choir and stuff like yeah. that. And it was three daughters and they were all knockouts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that's the path they took. <laughs> like as soon as they had driver's licenses, it was like they were everywhere. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's a different world. Homeschool kids were a whole different breed in the church. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, we were good special. for them. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, but being drawn towards heavier music and then meeting people who are into that and then getting connected through, like, that drew me into like the same type of secular world. And I was like, that's where I kind of found my belonging outside. I mean, I, I was always a big church kid. I, I did take, it took me a long time to like, to not be part of it in the way that I was at that time. Like mm. I bought into all that hook, line and sinker. Yep. Um, youth group and then of course, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Big youth group. I loved it. I, I, I was a kid who graduated high school. I went to community college and I still kind of wanted to go to my high school youth group. I wasn't like quite ready to leave yet. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I was a youth leader for a short amount of time. That's oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. But I would go, I would show up stoned. I was not a good youth leader. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I was a good youth leader and I don't know. I just couldn't, I I'm couldn't so, hang with it, man. You were a fun youth leader. Yeah. To some, <laughs> and then to others, I was a heretic. So, you know, that didn't last. But they didn't long. kick you out. Did they just, no, you I left chances? because I just couldn't handle it. You know, taking kids on trips and trying to behave. I just, I couldn't do it. <laughs> now, do you have, so do you have like a personal like salvation story where you said the prayer and stuff as a kid? Any of no, that? I was just, it was just, I was born into it. And I think because of that, you know, I took my faith for granted and I just kind of did what I was told up until a certain point. And then I sort of, you know, when I got old enough and I actually sort of straying away from the church and then I got married and was trying to like balance that relationship. So I kind of like told her about God and she decided she wanted to become part of the church too. So we kind of had a moment of like, all right, we're going to try to own our faith. Hmm. And that was interesting because I started to see things differently but it was still very flawed and still very much, I would say, just kind of going with what I was raised on and not really questioning it too much, staying in a comfort zone and not wanting to upset my parents. I think that was a huge, huge thing for me up until, you know, I would say maybe in my 30s where I just was so concerned with how they viewed me and wanted my parents to be proud and didn't want to hurt their feelings that I kept going to church, even though deep down inside, I was just wasn't feeling it. To me, it was just a routine, something that I had to do. It was an obligation. It wasn't, there was no joy there. There was no passion there. There was no real, you know, I was dead in my faith for many, many years while still attending church and sort of playing the role. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. It's funny. My, my sibling, I have three siblings and all of them. uh, I mean, they, they, called it quits before, like years ago mm-hmm. um and i'm like the final like holding on of hope for my parents that like so i totally get that feeling of like not wanting to be a disappointment mm-hmm. where you're like man I'm, like they're over they they did everything they could they homeschooled us yeah. they kept us in church every chance they could they i mean their entire mission was to make sure that they raised four children of god and 
Yeah, they're, it's, they're... It's, t- it's a tough thing to wrestle <laughs> with because, you know, I love yeah. my parents. They're great people. And, you know, where I'm at with my life now, it, it's just such an interesting dichotomy. You know, I am definitely 100% a spiritual person. I do pray a lot, um, more than I used to when I was, a, you know, called myself a Christian. My, yeah, right. my, um, yeah, I don't even know how to describe my faith of where, how I walk. I do believe in a higher power. I do believe I've listened. Here's the, here's the positive side of things. I've seen miracles. I've seen crazy things happen. I lived in a house and I was around people who had power to a certain degree. I've seen crazy things that I cannot explain. So I'm certain there's energy. There are spirits. I know the spirit world is real. I've seen it. I've been around it. I've seen demons. I've talked to a demon. That's another story. Um, so I can't, Those that's proof to me. I have proof in my own mind. So I know that the spirit world is powerful. So I guess as I've gotten older, I've just decided to take the positive things that I was raised with and hold on to them and get rid of what I believe to be the toxic traits and, and the the things that I think contradict and, you know, make people miserable and, you know, ostracize people. I've gotten rid of that, that guilt and that sort of like baggage that never quite worked for me or sat well for me when I would hear, you know, preaching that Muslims and gay people are, you know, of the devil and, you know, all these like terrible things that were from the pulpits to people. I got rid of that. And um, I'm definitely consider myself and my dad would always argue because you know i would say i'm not religious and my dad said well religion by definition is your belief set system so everybody has a religion so i guess my religion would be love you know and i i know it's just so cringeworthy when you say that to christians because there's it's just such a loaded thing to say but i think you know you can stop people from in their tracks if you say do you believe god is love yes okay so if god is love and he loves all of us right that's the main point i'm clinging to that you start talking on the side of that or contradicting that you're wrong and <laughs> I, <Yeah>. I literally <laughs> you can't talk around that that's the point so if god loves us all you should accept and love everyone and then you have you know grace and you know versus law and i've just would talk in circles about that stuff. And I think the bottom line for me is I know there's a spirit world. I know there is something out there. There is a higher power. There's something there. I've kind of clinged to um, the native belief of the great spirit. And I've done some vision questing, psychedelic vision questing on my own. And I, I'm quite comfortable in that world. You know, the shamanic sort of respecting nature. And I, I would say, you know, I'm much more, profoundly moved than I ever was in a pew going out in nature and sitting by waterfalls and meditating and sort of, you know, taking a low dose psychedelic mushrooms and, and communing with nature. I've found a whole other comfort and love and passion. And I believe now more than I ever did that there's more out there, but you know, you can say that to people and they get very uncomfortable. I know a lot of Christian people get very uncomfortable with that, but it's all earth-based, you know, it's, it's, it's borderline paganism. I, I get that, but that's where I sit these days and I'm, I'm okay not defining it, you know? And I think that it takes a certain amount of humility to say that you're okay not defining it. And I think that Christianity has always been a crutch for me. Like you just, Oh, what are you? I'm Christian. And you don't even have to talk about it anymore. People know what you're talking about where yeah, I talk in the abstracts, you know, people look at me like I've got four heads and I'm like, you know what? The spiritual world is like that because nobody has a full grasp on it. 
we're not yeah. we're not intelligent enough to really understand what's going on. So I don't know. It's an it's, a, it's an evolving thing for me, one hundred percent. I think that's Sam and I talk about that a lot, though. Like the religion, a lot of times, you know, at its worst, it sells the feeling of certainty, mm. and it's selling a product that it can never deliver. And that at all is ultimately like what makes it fall apart for a lot of people, myself included. You know, is just this this false feeling of. I know this is true and I know that this book right here accounts for everything there is to know about the universe and that if I do it right, I'm going to have a, a you know peaceful and fulfilling life. And guaranteed and, place in heaven. Exactly. Yeah. And like the more people you meet and the further away from that community you you stray, the more you start to see people who who have those things, but they're not attached to this. And, you know, that's ultimately like what, undermined a lot of it for me was yeah. finding out that like now nah, these these guys really don't have a corner on on meaning and no one has certainty like no one knows for sure about a lot of different things yeah it's a lot of posturing really when it comes down to it and i, I would see that with the hierarchy in the church and the you know the deacons and the pastors and you know and and I'll, another thing too i'd like to add too if you really are privy to the private lives of some of these people some of these people are not good people. Some of the people I've <laughs> met in the church are are demonic. They're dark people that are obsessed with control and power. And some of them are like fucked up, like have – they're very quote-unquote sinful people that are just good actors. And it's crazy to me to think that there's a bunch of churches out there run by people who are egomaniacal pieces of shit. Dude, look how many cults sprung out of the Jesus movement. Oh, yeah. There's – there's some really good cult stories out of the Jesus. Yeah, movement, and then you but, know it becomes yeah. There's like sex cults. There's a bunch in California. My yeah, dad was kind yeah. of like one. David Berg. Uh, yeah, ba Bakersfield, California was where my dad would go to this, uh, yeah, commune that they all lived on, and yeah, it just got wild. And that some of that shit still exists for sure. I mean, are you, you growing up in that world? You must have been familiar with uh, Ravi Zacharias. Is that name? The name sounds Randall? familiar. The name you sounds familiar. He was just like a big name Christian, like apologi apologetics guy. Uh, mm -hmm. He had like a radio show on forever. He started an organization. Uh, well, you know, he died in 2017 of cancer. Mm. During his life, uh, the end of his life, some some like hanky panky shit started coming up with him and uh, his the I don't know the 200 massage therapists that he had oh, saved into Lord. his cell phone. Um, <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> they all have different techniques there. Yeah. <laughs> this is for lower back. This is for upper back. Oh, this is yeah. for inner thigh. It's like, okay, dude. Uh, but he, um, I mean, but now it's gotten real dark and, you know, people have accused him of rape. Mm. Um, I mean, they did the whole, in, the whole organization's crumbling now. They like, it, it's just unequivocally true, like that he was a dirtbag. And one of the quotes that one of these women says was like, he basically told like the paraphrase is like, he said like, you know, this, you're a gift. This is what we have as a gift from God for my dedicated service to him. And you can't tell anybody about this because they just won't get it. And then the millions of people who burn in hell for all of eternity will be on your conscience because you ruined my ministry. Is what yeah, there's, there's so many ways to manipulate people that way. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. And, you know, it's crazy because in my life and I, you know, I've traveled the world. I, I have been all over the place. I've been in temples of different faiths and creeds and uh, I've been around crazy cult people. And 
there's actually a book called the dictionary of sex cults and religion that my father co-authored that I own. And I've, I've really? I, yeah, I had to study, basically I had to study these different religions cause you have to know your enemy. So I was raised <laughs> reading about all those things. And then finally, as I was able to travel as a musician, you know, being able to sit in on, on Buddhist chanting and, and seeing Eastern religion and going into a mosque and attending, you know, a, you know, um, temple with the Jewish ceremonies. I, I've been, I've seen it all. And some of the people that I have met in my travels that are not religious at all tend to be salt of the earth, really beautiful people that have good hearts. And then some of mm. the religious leaders and people that are zealots and, and like hard line religious people are horrible people. And the, the thing that I constantly got shoved down my throat was the fear of hell and damnation. Yeah. And if you don't believe or if you don't follow these rules, then, you know, you're going to hell. And it always confused me, you know, and it confused me more and more as I got older. Like, why is that? Why is it that there are people that um, are wonderful human beings that have hearts of gold that actually live Christ-like and are doing these things and generous and you know, go to soup kitchens. Just, I've met some amazing people and I've had them, I've talked mm -hmm. to them. And some of those people have no religion. They don't, they, I've never been to a church. I don't even know what that's about. Or I have people who are, you know, atheists that just have no faith at all. And I've always been confused by that because, you know, again, having that sort of inside scoop into how the church works and meeting some of these people who are horrible, it always baffled me. Like, how does that work? And how does that make sense and I never was able to swallow that pill. And I think that was always an itch that I couldn't scratch as I grew up because it just didn't seem fair. You know, the, uh, the answer I always got, well, it isn't fair because God is the law. There's laws. So it was, it's always law versus grace. But I yeah. would always point back to the way that, you know, if you read how Christ supposedly lived, he was a gentle, beautiful, forgiving man that like – how is the church taking this man's life and what he did and said and stood for and manipulating it and turning it into this ugly thing? And I, I just, I never was able to grasp that. It's um, I think it's just when you look at his, it's like his entire life was the, the only thing at all that he railed against was religious elitism, hypocrisy, yeah. and what anyone who built up walls what to keep happened? people out. <laughs> if you built up walls to keep people out in the name of God, you were fucked. And that's that's what he would talk about. Uh, like, it, uh, it's, uh, yeah. it's baffling, isn't it? It's absolutely and baffling. I, I instantly thought, dude, uh, when you talked about studying up and knowing your enemies, uh, just to share the, um, the opposite approach to that that I had heard um, <laughs> is... If you uh, like people who like who sniff out counterfeit bills, right? Um, you know, if your if your job is to know to like find counterfeit money and, and take it out of the system or out of circulation, like if you study counterfeits, like if that if your job is to track them down, like you don't you don't study all the millions of types of counterfeits there are. You study the American dollar, and you know everything about the American dollar. So that way, when you sniff out a fraud, like, and <laughs> this hurts my head. <laughs> I can hear somebody explaining this. Oh yeah. That was a, now I, I say it jokingly, but uh, when I, I mean, when I heard that the first time I was like, sounds reasonable. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, another thing to, to tack on that I, I have to bring up that was a point of, um, 
sort of baffling me. Uh, when you look at the, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Apocrypha, these things that were left out intentionally and the control of that as well. And, you know, if you were to question that or like want to look outside of what was considered to be the Bible, that was frowned upon like to a whole other degree. And I've always questioned, well, why is that? Why were those books left out? Why are we not privy to this knowledge? Why are we not privy to like the the alternatives and the possibilities of this narrative that were constantly shoved down our throats. And I remember being younger and talking to friends of mine who started to question that. And I was the one saying, Oh no, 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 you can't. That's taboo. You don't do that. God's book is written this way for a reason. And that's it. You don't, you don't question it. You don't question that. You don't question the text. You don't question why this was left out, why that was hidden from, from our, our view and from our sites and these people who, apparently were equally as inspired to write something about God or Jesus, they're excluded. And and I was always baffled by that. And then when I finally looked into those things and I saw, you know, it's like the eating of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you start to see things as they are. And that's kind of like what started my unraveling. I'm like, none of this makes sense. Like there's so much control in this. And I, I, this just baffles me. It's something I still wrestle with. It's, it's, it's always funny to me when I think about like how like searching outside of the established sources was condemned and how it was characterized as like, you're going to be seduced away from the truth. Yeah. The demons will get a hold of you. Yes. It's (laughs) kind of true. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was another thing too. There there was a, you know, thankfully this wasn't really part of my upbringing because, you know, all this religious talk, I'm I'm going to stand on this point. My parents were always generous, giving, kind people that always taught me to love thy neighbor as thyself. I will give my parents that. They definitely mm-hmm. instilled that in me. And just because they were part of corruption and, and part of like this religion or different churches that did have corruption in them, my parents have always been the the loving caring we would look we would like take homeless people into our house we would take drug recovering drug addicts into our house we would take in um ex mobsters and and people who are had killed people into our house i have got stories for days about that stuff and i remember going as a young kid going and walking on the streets of philadelphia the ghetto of philadelphia with my mom and handing out food to homeless people so i i saw the good side as well as the stuff that I was privy to because my dad was a minister, but my parents have always maintained that, that beautiful Christ-like love. And that's something that I've clung to and still consider to be a part of my being and, and why, you know, mm. as we were saying earlier, like the way Christ lived, the way he lived, that's what I tried to do. I mimic that. And I think yeah. that's important for me because that you can take that and apply that to anything. You don't have to put that in the the confines of a religion, that's just how you should be living anyway. Like we should be kind to people. We should show love. We should be gracious. We should help people out who are less fortunate. Um, and that's something I've always strived to do. It's just unfortunate that something so beautiful and a message so beautiful from such a, a beautiful person who apparently existed could have been manipulated to be what it is today. And yeah. You know, you you say the word Christian to a majority of people, uh, at least, you know, in my circles of, of friends, it's like, there's like a, oh, uh, you get the yeah. cringe, like, oh God, what? <laughs> One of those people. And I get it. I get it, you know, because I know 
people that I admire and love that are Christians. And I know people that I admire and love that I think are horrible people and do horrible things. And they're just really good actors because they think that that's going to get them salvation. And it's fear-based. I think there's a lot of people who cling to this because they're afraid of what's coming next, you know, your death and, and hellfire and damnation. And I think the religion has used that as their tool you, you can look back. I mean, you were talking about the Crusades and all that. Like, that has been used from day one. You yeah, know? people were offered salvation to fight in the Crusades. Yeah, and then you could pay for your indulgences. But, you know, that's still going on today. Like, the, it hasn't changed that much. They've just sort of changed the PR campaign. Yeah. And, you know, and that's what blows my mind. It's, I don't know. I I'm almost accepting the fact that I'll never understand it. And I don't rail against it. I don't, I'm not outspoken. This is the first interview I've done where I've said this much because I really don't want to tell people how to be or how to live. I've got my own story, but I think the, the, it's a tale of caution because you got to be careful what you're standing on, what principles you stand on and what you're not questioning and what you just accept to be as truth and law, how damaging that can be to people. You know, I, I know of people who are homosexual that were told so many times that they were evil, that they killed themselves yeah. and that they oh. committed the ultimate, you know, sin. And then they, and then they killed themselves. So of course, if you're gay, you're not going to heaven. And if you kill yourself, you're not going to heaven. So these people were damned for all time. And there's some really sweet, beautiful, artistic, loving people that they killed themselves because they were told it was evil and, and they were told it was their choice. So stuff like that has really rattled my cage and just made me just get to the point of like, how dare you do that? Because if if Jesus is your hero and he's your God, Jesus would not have done that. I know you can tell by the way they write about him. Again, if you're believing everything you read, he would have sat down and had dinner with these people and just been like, yes, God loves you. And that's, oh, it makes me so angry. I don't, I don't think Jesus's message ever drew it, drew, drove anybody to suicide. Uh, no. And I think, uh, you know what I, yeah, yeah, I <laughs> know. No, right. Not no. at all. Right. Well, that's what I think. I, it gets, I, that's where it gets manipulated. I truly believe those things were added in to manipulate people and to push an agenda. I truly yeah. believe that the whole, like, you know, and I get it. Those quote unquote relationships don't offer life. And I always heard that like, oh, you can't be gay because there's no babies coming from it. Yeah, but you know what? If you pull out and you never get somebody pregnant, isn't that not <laughs> life too? Like how how do we – how is that the standard? Oh, because a penis I, and a vagina create life, then that's okay. But you know, I don't want kids. I'm not doing yeah. that. I'm not <laughs> trying to have kids, man. Uh, and whether or not I put my, my dick in someone's ass or a vagina, why does that matter? <laughs> and it, it's none of your fucking business to be honest with you. And yeah, uh, I remember a girl at Liberty explaining to me that like – all anal is sodomy and it's all an abomination. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, why are we I, having this discussion? I also remember uh, there was and? plenty of men at Liberty. Uh, I shouldn't say men. I should say boys. There are plenty of boys at Liberty who um, convinced their girlfriends to have anal sex because, because. it wasn't vaginal sex. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. They were oh, that, dude, I love that. That's so, hysterical. Yep. So you can call loophole. It's technically poop- not premarital <laughs> sex, right? Poop hole, it's just heavy petting as my mom would say. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but and then you can piggyback another, you know, serious and sad and disgusting point. Yeah. You look at, at the amount of molestation that happens in the church and like a Roman Catholic church, case in point, you want to talk about evil? You want to talk about evil. That single act of taking a, a child's innocence, that is probably the most evil shit I could ever think of. And then right. these men who go and do this, 
they're protected. They're not chat. They're not chastised. They're moved to another congregation. You've got these people, millions of people who are loyal to this church, and this is what they're condoning. Holy shit! Yeah. Are you kidding me? That yeah, is the case. antithesis of holy. That is like the most evil shit you could possibly do in your life. And this organization, this one of the most powerful organizations in the entire globe, allows this. And there's followers who are like, yeah, well, you know, like how do you shrug that off and go, yeah, I'm yeah. going, the, I'm going to church. I'm going to like listen to this priest. What? <laughs> Casey and I have talked a good bit about like, you know, when when you've when you've predicated a whole belief on the ultimate goal is to not burn in hell for eternity, it allow, it just allows these people to justify such heinous things in the name of not ruining it for other people, quote unquote, mm. you know? And it just, oh, well, if people find out about this, then millions of people are going to burn in hell. It's like, what? what? Yeah, that's, that's always again. like sort of the period of the end of the sentence. Yeah, it's so yeah. manipulative and so toxic. And, and like I said, evil. That just makes me sick to my stomach. I don't understand it. So your drift, uh, your exodus out of this, it sounds like it was in your like early to mid twenties. Uh, or Yeah. I mean, that's kind of when I was still sort of going along with the motions. And I think what helped with that too was I got off tour with my band seamless. Uh, I want to say it was 2006, 2007 or so broke, like absolutely broke the failed career. Just, uh, I had to pay money to get out of the band cause we were all in debt. Oh, and wow. because of that, I had to move home with my parents and my dad was preaching at the time and they lived in the parsonage, which is the house next to yep. the church. So I had to live <laughs> in the parsonage for a year and because of that, and I was broke. So they, you know, well, why don't you help out the church help since you're not paying rent right now, maybe you should help. And so I started doing music at the church and, you know, you know, not like creatively, like just pressing buttons on a computer. So the, you know, cause we didn't have an organist that couldn't afford one. So it was all MIDI music, like organ MIDI music that I would program. Uh, and so I kind of got involved with the church because I wanted to help my parents out and felt guilty because I was mooching off them, you know, being a failed musician at the time. And I think for the that listeners, uh, I just, just I want to just provide a little context for the listeners in 2006. That was post uh, just so everyone uh, uh, that was post you leaving Killswitch. Yeah, I and left Killswitch started... in 2002. And then, yes, this, I was in a bunch of bands. But, yes, Seamless is one of those bands. Seamless was that... the first band that I actually joined to go on tour and like to try it again. You know, to sort okay. of see if I could do that life. Failed miserably, uh, and and that's what led me back home to live with my parents in my my uh, late twenties. And then, yeah, at the age of thirty, I moved out, got my own apartment with my my ex uh, ex wife, who's a whole other interesting story of strangeness and darkness. Um, and that's yeah, I was just going through the motions in my my early thirties, just kind of being a part of my dad's church because I wanted to make my parents happy and sort of try to be an example for my wife because she had a lot of issues and a lot of addiction problems. So I thought if we could at least go to church once a week, she's getting a good message and it will help all of us in our little family. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I can remember sitting there many, many, many times just thinking, what the hell am I doing here? I'm not getting anything out of this. This is not, the music is terrible. The whole vibe is terrible. <laughs> like I don't, I feel like I'm in a funeral listening to this music. <laughs> just, it, it did not move me. Your faith funeral. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I finally, you know, and I started to venture out on my own and, and explore the woods in the area because it was my only solace to get away from everybody was to go find a patch of woods or a park. 
And, you know, I would out loud talk to God and just be like, what's going on here? Like all my life I've committed to you all my life. I've done everything I was supposed to do. And I just, I don't feel it. Something is terribly wrong here. And I was, I was honestly scared at that point. Like, what do I do if I step outside of the church and I'm ostracized and, you know, my family sees me a certain way and then my community sees me a certain way. Where do you go from there? And there's not a lot of support. And I, you know, I had the balls to go do it and I had a music community, thankfully, to embrace me. Yeah. But there's people that when they're ostracized or they're excommunicated, even worse, God forbid, there's nowhere to go. And that's when you can spiral. You can really become fucked up and addicted and suicidal because that's heavy. Some people being excommunicated from their community, that's a death sentence. And that's scary. And I was scared. So I know like uh... – I don't know, you know, Sam and I just have like these brief touches with music and stuff like that over the years. But, you know, it seemed like touring with a band was such a like a put on a pedestal goal for people that were in that community that wanted to do music. And so Mm. few people get to do it. Yeah. You know, like, was there like animosity within that community that you had gotten to do that and that you weren't anymore or that you had le- no, like any because, of that type of thing? because it was under the guise of I was going out there with my message and ministering to people in a certain way. Because truthfully, you know, if you read my lyrics and you're a person of faith, you're going to be able to relate to it because a lot of it is steeped in love. It is steeped in sort of uh, – you know, yeah. at least on the I mean, surface. It made me want to reach out to you. I was like, yeah. I, you hear it as a kid, as a person of faith. You're like, I have a feeling. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, on on record while I was writing the I Leverage is Breathing, which is an album that has, you know, been sort of a benchmark for me in my career. That is definitely a Christian record. There's Christian themes there. There's no questioning of faith. There's no none of that. Where, mm-hmm. you know, if you look further into my catalog of, of music, it starts with me rejoining Killswitch, uh, Disarm the Descent, where you can start to see me talking about my my unraveling. And I think this is a, probably an mm. interesting segue in, into I can name some songs and you could read some lyrics. And for the listener out there, you can see yeah. my you can actually see my journey of unraveling and questioning. Um, there is uh, what's the first song I would say? I probably should have done my homework. Let me just pull up my because uh, you know I write <laughs> I've written so many songs. I, yeah. <laughs> just need to, I just need to reference because there's some heavy ones. All right. So off the top of my head, there's a song called Hate by Design that I wrote. Mm-hmm. Hate yeah, by, I hate, like that one. Thank you. Hate by Design was originally inspired by me hearing that homosexuality is a sin and the punish is, is death. And then I was thinking to myself, okay, so if homosexuals are going to hell and they're eternal damnation, but God is love. How, wait, what, how does that work? So that thought sort of sparked me starting to write and question and being like, there's contradictions here. And, you know, that's when I started to bring that message into my music a little bit because I wanted people to think for themselves. Growing up, listen, I was Christian, but I was also a punk. So at the age of 15, I was embraced by the hardcore punk community. I was a misfit with them. So I would go to church on Sundays. But meanwhile, during the week and Saturday nights and Friday nights, I was at hardcore shows. I was at punk shows. I was, you know, once I broke the barrier of secular music, which, you know, eventually my parents just put their guard down. Our, our boys are growing into teenagers. We need to let them be who they are. I, I jumped in hook, line and sinker into the punk rock community and absolutely fell in love and found my tribe, found my community, found the thing that eventually would save my life when I did 
sort of de depart. So uh, let's see. Dis uh, so the hell in me is the first song off of Disarm the Descent. The hell in me is talking about that wrestling. So that's the first signs of me sort of going in my music. Look, I need to be saved from this hell in me because the hell in me is pushing me to question. So that song is very much me wrestling with my faith. The next song on that record, Beyond the Flames, Beyond the Flames is about lust. It's about struggling with lust and what you're told is, you know, correct and what you're told is not correct. Like I'm looking beyond so using the word flames, which is, you know, the the scriptures that talks about to burn for somebody else. Mm -hmm. you know, instead of burning for them, you need to marry them and like, you know, this whole like law of like how lust works. And and beyond the flames is me questioning that. Like, how do we know what lust is? So these songs are written with that in mind, but I write with dual and triple meanings. So the listener can sort of have their own narrative, but I'm just, I'm just weaving the, the thought process from some of these songs. Then the next song in that record is new awakening. That's where I'm actually coming out and saying, I'm starting to see things are different Then the next song in that record in due time. I see the world through different eyes is one of my lines in that song. So this is a progression of me unraveling before people's eyes. And if you read the lyrics to these songs, you can see that I'm telling you as the listener, I'm no longer identifying here as a Christian. I'm slowly deprogramming myself. A Tribute to the Fallen, which is the next song on that record, is about a corrupt minister who would preach all these things to these people and lived a life that was completely opposite of it. And we found out about it. There was a huge falling out in the congregation. The one man that was supposed to be the, the shepherd was not a shepherd. That song is about that exactly, about me looking at this man that I admired for most of my life, a church leader, and then finding out he was cheating on his wife. He was a raging alcoholic. Like All these things came forward. And you know, people think that song's about military, a tribute to the phone. It's not. It's about a spiritual leader you know, turning his back. Then the next song, Turning Point. I mean, the list goes on on that record. Then it leads up to You Don't Bleed For Me. And that was the first song where I was angry. And I was thinking about how we're always talking about the blood of Christ and blood of, you know, and it's like, I don't get it anymore. You're not bleeding for me. Like, you know, the, the line, the line that struck me around this mm. time was from a song from Kings of Leon. And it was when, because the, have you ever heard of the story of those guys? They grew up evangelical. They, they were like super Christian boys that oh, really? became rock stars and like jumped in hook, line and singer to like women and drugs. There's a very interesting documentary on that band. And I remember there's a song on the end of that record of that documentary where he's like, Jesus doesn't love me. He didn't die for me. Like, I don't believe that anymore. So for me, it was like, you don't bleed for me. It was me finally going, I don't, I can't relate to this anymore. You you, hmm. you didn't, I feel like you didn't die for me. And, and, it, and it's, it's harsh, but there's still a huge part of me that's fearing it. There's still a huge part of me that's sad. I'm not angry about my faith per se. I'm just angry about the way that it's been portrayed to me. So that kind of all, I mean, that's pretty much it for that record. But if you were to take time and read the lyrics from any of those songs on Disarm the Descent, you can see the journey I was starting to go on. And then Incarnate, which is the next record. That's why um, I jumped back in. I missed, I'm going to go, I can't wait to go back and really listen to Disarm the Descent. I'd say, that. yeah, for, from my return, I'd say the newest record, Atonement, um, which the title itself would give it away, um, is probably <laughs> my best work with the band, in my opinion. But that's just I love me. it. I and then it. I would say the next one in line would be Disarm the Descent, then Incarnate. So Incarnate is probably my least, if I had to pick, you know, of what I've done since I returned, 
Incarnate would be my least favorite. Um, so Incarnate, Alone I Stand is more of a political song. Hate by Design, which I talked about already. Uh, Cut Me Loose, Strength of the Mind are both sort of a men mental illness. Just Let Go, that song was the one where I said out loud to myself, I'm done. I'm going to just let go of this. I don't need to carry this burden anymore. I don't need to pretend anymore. I just need to stand near the precipice, the, the edge of, of my fear and just jump, just go. My leap of faith. Do you get face. emotional? Oh, I'm sorry, man. Go ahead. Do you get emotional when you sing these songs oh, uh, yeah. live? Oh, yeah. Is it like, do you ever have a hard, do you ever choke, you get choked up thinking about it? Or so, is it, you just kind of get into the zone? 100%. So the next song on that record is called Embrace the Journey Upraised. That song, almost every time I've sung it, I cry because at the end, you know, it's silence the voice of the self-righteous. How does it go? I have to sing it in order to remember the lyrics. Silence the voice. Um, condescending and without grace. Give sight to those who are blinded. It's basically saying like, look, these people who are calling themselves leaders that are leading with dogmatics, I no longer, I don't respect you. I have, I'm letting go and I'm embracing my new journey. And Embrace the Journey was written right after I did my first vision quest. And I actually went on a psychedelic quest to find the spirit world on my own. Finally was like, I'm not clinging to my Christian faith. I'm looking elsewhere. I'm finally going into that quote unquote dark place to like seek more knowledge, to seek more wisdom. And because of that, uh, I wrote the song, It Falls on Me, which comes a couple songs after that. And that was my, my, uh, how would I, how would I word this? That was my breakup song with Christianity. It falls mm. on me is truly my first time going like, you know, my ballad to say goodbye and to, to, to finally put a nail in that coffin and, and no longer see myself as a Christian man anymore. And that song we've never played live, but I guarantee you if we ever do, I'm, gonna have a really hard time with that particular <laughs> song is that a calculated decision to not no 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 the band is just very opinionated and the other four members lean hard on the hits so a lot of the sets <laughs> a lot of the sets are designed by those guys and then me arguing going but i really love this song guys it's a new one maybe we could push in a different direction and not lean so hard on the end of heartache and my curse and oh we have to have the fan. <laughs> so it's been a constant yeah. battle of that but you know, I've got songs that I believe that I've written that I think would push the band in a different direction, more artistically, step outside of the metalcore, you know, stuff that's been set up. And I'm always pushing for that. I will continue to push for that. But, you know, I'm one of five guys, so it doesn't always is happen. That a, is it like, is it difficult to sing songs that you didn't write yourself? I mean, since that's obviously like that's a really important part oh, yeah. of, of your role in the band is it hard? Is it just a hollow nothing sort of no, feeling? No, I, I wouldn't do it if it wasn't a hollow nothing. So I had to sort of like put myself into those songs and kind of come up with my own meaning to it and, you know, play it, play it in my head as to like, how would I embody these songs? So I do my absolute 100% best to embody them. And I'm actually emotionally moved. And I've been, I've been brought to, to tears by Howard's songs by singing his material. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say what's difficult about it initially was he's got a, a thicker vocal folds than I, he has a totally different voice than I do. He's got a much deeper sort of black man voice. It's a beautiful bellowing, 
voice and i don't have that i've got this weird sort of weasel mid-range like i don't know how to describe it i actually am not <laughs> a huge beautiful too come I on man. i am not i am not a fan of my own voice for the most part um, it's so wild it's it's so good no, i sound i sound like a weasel being squeezed um <laughs> but I, I that being said the lower register of my voice is kind of nice and the next time's a grace record you're going to hear more lower register stuff that i'm as i get older oh. becomes becomes richer and and deeper and i'm actually working on a solo record too. That's pretty much a piano ballad goth record that I'm going to sing in my deeper old man voice. So that'll come out more. <laughs> Did you just that's give us exclusives was... or were these previously announced? Um, I think I might've mentioned it about the times of grace thing, but yeah, I haven't talked about the solo thing at all because I'm nowhere near done. The, uh, the idea is to put out an EP that's based on nature and the movements of nature. And, you know, I live in the Catskill um, mountains so a lot of the stuff I'm recording, I'm doing field recordings of streams and walking in the snow and all that's going to be part of this abstract sort of interesting psychedelic goth record I'm working on that may never see the day, the light of day, which is why I don't talk about it. But it's something <laughs> I've been doing during quarantine to sort of get me by and keep me creative. But yeah, New Times of Grace, man, that's going to blow everyone's mind. I, I think it's the best work Adam and I've ever done, period. And that, yo. I was going to ask you about that one because okay. I listened to that Times of Grace record a lot. Yeah, it's different though. You know, I'm proud to say it's very different. I mean, it's been 10 years. Um, yeah, I guess let's just jump over to that because I mean, the new the new album Atonement. You can there's so much to be said on that one, but um, Atonement itself, you know, we all know that word as a Christian. So I thought that was oh, a yeah. great great title for it. Um, but yeah, let's switch over to Times of Grace. So I, I'll give you an exclusive. Um, the, on the new times of grace record, there's a very long song. Um, I can't say lyrics. I can't say the song title cause I'll, I'll get in trouble. I'm sure Adam would crucify me. No pun intended. <laughs> um, but there is probably the most, the most, uh, outspoken I have ever been about my displeasure with the hypocrisy of the Christian religion. There is a song on that record that is probably going to get me in trouble with my dad and some other people until I'm able to sit down and explain to them what it's about. Because on the surface, when you hear that song for the first time and you are a full-fledged Christian, you're probably going to be offended at some point because of what I'm saying in it. And I did that on purpose because I really want people to read the lyrics and I really want them to question so I'm giving you that exclusive. I've never said this out loud. And I, I am proud of that song. I'm more proud than I've ever been about any song I've ever written about my journey as, as a, from a Christian to a self-proclaimed spiritualist, which makes everybody's skin crawl when you say that, in, you know, in a Christian community. <laughs> I can't, I Spiritual can't versus that. religious, you know. Uh, that is my critique, my absolute brutal critique on, on the hypocrisy. And it's, it's coming. My, my whole life, like the things that helped that grew me the most were the things that critiqued what I believed. Like I, I didn't really start growing until I just started accepting and listening to critique. Uh, so I think that's, I, I love that direction. I love that you're doing that. I'm really I think excited. That's a really good, good point to make right there because you cannot own your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if it's not a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I always heard that when I was like, Oh, you have to have a personal relationship. Like, okay. So if you are actually having a personal relationship, like you would in a marriage, right? There's a lot of growing pains. There's a lot of discussion. There's a lot of arguments. There's a lot of falling outs. There's a lot of pain 
and suffering balanced out with joy and love that you have to go through in order for a relationship to work. You have to put in work. There is a huge chunk of people who are not putting in that work and who are the loudest to criticize people, the Bible-thumping people who just go in on people. If you really took time to self-reflect, if you really took time to work on your relationship with God, you would not be a criticizer. By definition, judge not lest ye be be judged. (laughs) Are you kidding me? The wisest, most amazing, most profound people that I know that are Christians are quiet. They're very Buddhist-like, you know? And I and I really, truly feel that the people that I know that are actual, real, honest-to-goodness Christians that are doing what they believe is the will of God, they're closer to Buddhists than they are what you would know as a, a typical Christian. And that's kind of the route that segued me and sort of made me look differently because I started to get into Buddhism. I started to read Buddhist texts. I started to go to Buddhist temples. I started to be around these people that had so much more peace than I ever saw in the church. So I always found that interesting. Like I feel like Christianity should be a lot closer to Buddhism by, you know, by the letter of the word, meditating on God's word. Like a lot of people don't do any of that stuff at all. There's no personal relationship. It's, it's bullshit. Yeah. It's uh, you know, I, one of the things I keep going back to is I kind of broke, like found my own path was um, when you, as the concept of mystics, right? You have Christian mystics, yeah, Buddhists, I are typically mystics, mystics. Yes. Uh, yeah. Like you're Muslim mystics. And what I, what I began to realize was your mystics of the faith, whether it's Judaism, Islam, Christianity, those mystics have more in common with each other than they do in the, like the fundamentalist counterparts of their own faith. 100%. And that's kind of the road my dad has been on. I'm glad you brought up the mystics. Uh, my dad had a turning point when he started to get into that, the monastic sort of like monk, like Christians. Um, mm-hmm. And he got into that because he was friends with a Russian Orthodox minister. And, and we started to like check out the Orthodox side of things, which, you know, if you go to an Ethiopian Orthodox uh service it's incredible it's beautiful it's amazing you go to a greek orthodox a russian orthodox orthodoxy has a really interesting sort of respect for i i loved going to those types of services because i felt more respect i felt more um what's the word reverence almost reverence yeah it's just it felt holier than going to your average church you know or baptist or lutheran i mean lutheran to me was very always very sleepy like oh hard to sit through at least with the happy clappy stuff, there was entertainment. You know? <laughs> I love but, that term. <laughs> yeah, happy clappy. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I love that the mystics is where my dad started to turn a corner. And I would consider my dad as more of a mystic these days because he's so wise. He has so much knowledge and wisdom. He's really gravitated towards that. And in his older age and his humility, he's become a very beautiful man. I'm super proud of my parents because they raised me a certain way. They did the best they could with what they had. You know, when they were younger, there was definitely me and my dad butted heads a lot because he was that guy. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, they've mellowed out and sort of accepted that I, I am who I am. And I've sort of, um, you know, uh, reassured them, you know, you, you, the whole scripture of you raise a child up in the way and, you know, God will take care of him. And I always reassure them, look, I didn't lose my faith. I just, it's changed. That's all. I just, I'm not comfortable living under the doctrine and the ideology and the, and sort of the dogma of what you guys believe, the Christian religion. 
And now, you know, yeah. So going back to mystics, that's totally where I'm at these days. I I, I was going to say, that's a great term for you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if I could be so bold to say that, but I contemplate God now more than I ever did as my walk as a Christian, because I've owned it. I own it now. I know what I feel. I'm comfortable talking about it. I, I'm, mm. I don't fear ridicule. I don't fear death anymore. I don't fear hell. I have this this weight that has been lifted since that moment where I just let go of it. And it wasn't- the Truth will it, set you free. Yeah. And it wasn't to go <laughs> pr- to pursue a life of sin. It was truly a, a to me to pursue a life of, of a bigger understanding of why we're here and what goes on. And nature was my biggest teacher. Sitting alone out in nature and meditating and like being quiet by a stream, watching the sun go down. Those are things I do on my day off when I'm, you know, when I'm uh, on tour, I'll go to an ancient, uh, you know, cathedral and go scoot and sit in, in the, in the hall or sit in the, the, you know, the room and just be quiet. Like I have found God in a much different, more profound sense that I just started to seek outside of the confines of an organized religion. And I'm comfortable with that now. When I was younger, I was so insecure and I was so concerned with like what rules I was getting right and what rules I was getting wrong and what's this person going to think. And I just let go all of that. And again, it it, it was for the benefit of my faith, not to, you know, <laughs> to, to live a life of sin. Yeah. Which is what the fear is. That's That's so, that's beautiful, man. The, the nature part of that really resonates with me, I think, because I, I really I don't think I'm a spiritual person mm. in, in any context, really. It's just never been there. But like, you know, spending time outdoors and just really like getting, you know, being able to sit in the quiet, whether it's like going on a hike mm. or taking a life going as an, fishing, as an animal. Right. Sitting in the deer blind, whatever, Yeah, you know, just, just sitting there and just absorbing the silence. Like I, I traveled a lot for a while for work yeah. and it was hectic and crazy. And, uh, I used to keep this like videos on my phone where like we'd go back in the, in our field behind our house and like the grass is long and the wind is blowing and you're watching the ripples and it's perfectly silent. And I would take like videos of that. And like while I was traveling, if I started to get stressed out or whatever, I'd watch watch those videos and listen to them. And it's like it's it helps you find your center again. Yeah, that's why I started creating ambient music because it's something that I've found a lot of solace in when I'm on tour, when I'm in an airport. I mean, there's so many stressful, crazy, chaotic situations. And uh, I took to writing it myself. I have a project called The Way Back Within on Bandcamp, and it's all deep ambient music inspired by nature and my travels. And to me, that's, that's, that moves me more than any hymn ever did, you know, any, any organ droning music ever did. It's, it's nature, nature speaks. And I, I believe the voice of God is ever present in nature. If you just shut up and, and listen and be still, um, I've actually audibly heard a voice a few times and that moved me to tears and just tore me up. When I was seeking God most and wrestling with my faith most, I heard a voice speak to me and that changed everything. And it's actually um, the reason why I got divorced and, and found out my wife was just a horrible person was I got woken up out of a sound sleep and heard a voice throughout my mm. entire childhood. 
I've seen things, I've heard things, I've experienced things. I've seen ghosts. I've, you know, like I said earlier in the show, I've spoken to a demon. I have, I know it. It's and you know, and people can think you're crazy, but you know, there's enough of us people who have like that sixth sense child thing. I see dead people. There's enough of us out there where I don't feel crazy because I've met enough people that have these gifts. And I think that that is really sort of, um, solidified for me, my faith in, in a higher power or, you know, in the spiritual world, because I've actually had audible things that let me know I'm doing the right thing. And another reason why I even rejoined kill switch was after prayerful consideration and hearing a voice. And, you know, maybe that's in my own brain or maybe it's not, I don't know, but I heard it. And so to me, it's real and people don't have to understand it. They can call me crazy. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I feel blessed. Yeah. I feel blessed. That's and I feel story. like there's a mystery to life. And I love that. I love that. Yeah. And that's what drives me too to continue to seek and to continue to thirst for knowledge and for wisdom is because there are things we cannot explain, things we can we are not supposed to be able to explain. You, you know, you talk to somebody who's a hardline Christian and they're like, oh yes, this is the truth. We know this one hundred percent. How do you know that? You don't listen, you don't know that unless you've experienced it, unless you've had this epic moment in your life. And I've had tons of them, but those moments have continued to make me question and continue to make me look outside of the confines of a, a human made, a human controlled organization. You know, you, if you, I, there was a meme recently I was seeing online that really struck me. It was like a, a fish in a fishbowl and a fish in the sea and like, fish is in this fishbowl looking at the fish that's in this huge sea and the fish in the fishbowl is religion and the fish outside of the fishbowl that's swimming around this huge vast ocean is spirituality and it's it sounds funny but like that's so <laughs> true the moment you let go and start to explore like you said people who made you question stuff were the reason why you grew and yeah. i think that's the big thing that's why religion does what it does to put that in fear in you so you do stay in the confines of control you do stay a tithing contributing person in this church because the moment you start questioning and seeking elsewhere you realize you don't need a building or somebody telling you how to do it because it's a personal journey the, the most profound things that have ever happened to me in my spiritual walk have been by myself completely alone by myself away from any human being and i've had these life-altering moments. And I think that's what religion fears. I think that's what the organization of religion fears is you thinking for yourself because the construct of religion is very much a political thing. Just like in this country, we've got left and right. And if you have to be a left, you have to be a right. I have never been a left or a right person. I've always been in the middle, putting my middle finger up to the government going, fuck the government. You guys are a bunch <laughs> of controlling assholes. We should be free. You want to talk about freedom? We're not free. We should be free. So in, you know, it's the political, just like the church. I think it's the same thing. Politics and religion are very much tied together. They're the same thing. And the moment you start to realize that you see the deep hypocrisy and the deep control to keep us all little worker bees and, and ants. And the moment you step out yeah. of that and you start to walk a path of a shaman or someone who's like willing to just check out all these stuff, like you're going to, your life is going to change and you're never going to turn back. And that's the fear. Yeah. It's like the difference when it's healthy and when it's not is like, you know, like say, politics, religion, whatever. It's like, you see the way it works in politics. You see the way it works in religion. It's these people like aren't able, they can't know or do this by themselves. They need us. They need 
help they yeah. need i think that's the majority of society you know them. absolutely because yeah. you know if you're afraid you're going to cling to something that's going to save you just like now with this whole covid thing people are clinging to their government for dear life but if you really look below the surface of what's going on the government doesn't give a shit about you they never did they want your money they want your allegiance and that's why it scares people and angers people when you question that look i'm not left or right i don't give a shit if that makes you feel happy and you feel like you got people that understand you Go for it. I'm not going to tell you how to think, but for me, I think for myself. I am not. Yeah. I am not indoctrinated by our religion or a government. And that scares people. It, but you know what? People like me need to exist to shake the foundations. That's why you know, artists should be those people. We should be. The, and that's why this is a, a huge quell on that. That's why artists get silenced. They get silenced because they have people question. And I, that's my job. I do it in a different way. I do it in a very gentle way lyrically and by the way that i live but deep deep down inside is a very angry punk rock kid that's like fuck you <laughs> <laughs> i love it man i thanks dude thanks so much for sharing your story with oh, us dude, uh, i could go on and on and on you could do a part two i just will yap away you know because i again <laughs> this is a form that i i really am interested in because i've never really explored it because you know I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate out of this one, but you know, I think it's good to make people think. And I think what you guys are doing is necessary. I think people who, who question and who sort of find themselves at odds with how they were raised or, you know, very specific things in religion need community and need people that tell them it's going to be okay. And you're going to figure it out. And the more people I've met who are sort of ex Christian and on the same path as me that didn't, you know, lose their minds on drugs or whatever life of sin, yeah. That, that's comforting to me because I know I'm on the right path. It's okay to question. It's okay to like develop your relationship outside of the confines of organized religion. So what you guys, what you guys are doing is great. I love it. I think it's great. I'm sure you guys are going to make you. a lot of people feel less alone in this world by doing what you're doing. Well, and, and you've got, uh, you've got your own podcast coming out soon. Yeah, so I know. be able to I tease should, out these thoughts. I should probably be plugging out, huh? Yeah. So Stoke, <laughs> Stoke the Fire was born out of, uh, so I'm a huge pyro and I've got a nice big fire pit in my backyard. Um, and I've had parties. I've had any kind of gatherings that we get together, whether it's my family or my friends. Once that fire is lit, people change. People gather around it. You, you, the conversation gets deeper. People get quieter. There's a beautiful thing that happens when you sit around a fire so my thought the look on people's faces sometimes change. Yeah. You ever look at someone's face across the fire and you just feel like it's different. Yeah. They've just relaxed their face. Like there's something that beckons to us about fire. Yeah. And I love, I love it. It's always been a theme in my lyrics and everything. Just all oh, fires everywhere. I'm a total pyro. So the idea was like, Oh yeah, you sit around a fire, the, the good conversations that you have, whether that's ghost stories or Sasquatch stories or, or, you know, um, <laughs> stuff about God. Like those are the types of things that we want to focus on me and Matt, my partner, Matt. And it's just an open forum where we're not going to be judgy. It's going to be very passive and, and like, uh, you know, cause I feel like it's severely lacking in society right now. Everyone's arguing. No one's discussing. No one's like having good conversation because at the end of the day, you don't have to agree with somebody to like them. Like I, some yeah. of my friends are full on, Trump lovers. Some of them are full on like lefties to like a crazy painful degree. Like I love them all. I don't care. I don't have to agree with you. And and I'm through this whole process we've been going through this past year. I, I can't really talk on it because the moment I say something that someone doesn't agree with, there's so much hate and animosity that comes out of people. 
So Matt and I were like, let's find a forum where we can just have an open discussion, like a round table discussion amongst each other with a guest, or we're going to do once a month, invite questions and people onto our Zoom and allow them to be part of the show as a listener. So you're building a community and a safe place, if you will, for people to talk about stuff, the deeper things in life. So that's what we're going to attempt to do on Stoke the Fire. It's going to be hopefully a very profound, fun, entertaining, and also just um, intellectually stimulating place for ideas. That's awesome. Stuff. Yeah, we'll see. That sounds right up our listeners alley. So everyone needs to go check out that. That comes out. Uh, this will be. This will come out after your pod. Your cup podcast is going to launch on March third. Is that right. right? Yeah. So it's March third. I don't even know. I've been so burnt out plugging it. You think I'd <laughs> friggin' know? Um, yeah. So. This- I'm sure it'll be out by then, right? So, that, and also, I want to add too that um, we're hoping when the world returns to a social environment to take it and flip it into a sort of travel show. Anthony Bourdain was one of my big heroes um, with his mm-hmm. No Reservation show and the way that he lived his life as like a punk rocker chef. We kind of want to do that, but like talk life with people around the world. So eventually, if if all goes well, we'd like to make it into a travel show as well. So we'll see. That'd be fucking cool. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Level the playing field, make people feel less alone in this world. I think that's kind of my mission, whether it be music or art or whatever. I'm just such an empath. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or bother them. I want to make people feel good, but I also want truth to reign. So that's a a tricky slope I sort of walk. Yeah, right. I'm going to offend somebody at some point. But if if it's truth backed, if it's something I truly feel and believe in my heart, I'm okay Mm -hmm. with that. You know, it's fine. Not, yeah. er- not everyone's going to love me. They already don't. It's fine. But you go about it in a good way, man. And, uh, you know, your music's resonated with me over the years and obviously countless other people. And I think you're doing beautiful work. And I, had I can't wait teachers. for your podcast. Thank you. <laughs> well, Casey, I think that's pretty much it for us. We want to do- go ahead and check out our Instagram, follow us on that. we are uh, get some stuff coming down the pipeline ourselves uh, that hopefully we'll be, you know, announcing. Yep. Discord will be out by this point. So uh, go find the link to the Discord so you can weigh in on the stuff yourself. 